from like a traction standpoint, we were like, there's no way we're not going to get an offer or a deal. And then we didn't even get an offer. And so we were both pretty, it was an emotional roller coaster. But one thing that happened was the day after we filmed, it was the day that news broke that Toys R Us had filed for bankruptcy. And so I think the Sharks knew a lot of information that we didn't even know about the traditional toy industry at that time. Podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories, and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. I'm Mark Gutman, and on today's episode of Baby Got Backstory, how two best friends started telling stories of sloths and Bigfoot for fun and turned it into a multi-million dollar business while being co-CEOs and still remaining best friends. Now, if you like and enjoy the show, please take a minute or two to rate and review us over at iTunes. iTunes uses these as part of the algorithm that determines ratings on the Apple charts. And ratings help us to build an audience, which then helps us to continue to produce this show. And lastly, this show is all about creating value for you, as well as opening up a dialogue I realize I'm usually the one doing all the talking, but please, let's start the conversation. I am at Mark Gutman on all social channels. You can always send an email to podcast at wildstory.com with your thoughts and comments. If you have any great ideas for guests, please let me know. All suggestions are welcome. As you're about to hear, Slumberkins are plush toys with a corresponding story that are designed to help parents and children have difficult conversations, to adding a new family member, to losing possessions in a house fire, or even, yes, a global pandemic. They are communication portals that allow us to have those hard conversations in a way that are authentic, real, and positive. And of course, I love that this business is based all around story and the power that story has to provide meaning and clarity around some of life's most challenging moments. From the moment Kaylee Christensen and Kelly Oriard met in high school, they were fast friends destined to build a company their own way. And this is their story. So I'm here with Kelly Oriard and Kaylee Christensen, uh, the founders of Slumberkins. Welcome to the Baby Got Backstory podcast. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Yes, thank you. Uh, very, very excited. And before we get going, like, can you tell us what what are Slumberkins? What is Slumberkins? Slumberkins are a line of plush creatures matched with uh, therapeutic storylines in board book form that we've created as a teacher and a therapist to really support parents in promoting and supporting their children's emotional wellness at home. So each of our creatures addresses a different skill um, and we have a full spectrum um, and range from skill sets like relaxation and growth mindset and authenticity to kind of a more supportive range of anxiety reduction and even a collection for grief and loss. So, so help me understand that a little further, like, like treat me like, uh, I, I'm five, you know, like, like how do, how do slubberkins come into my life? Well, um, we have a lot of parents or grandparents that um, find slumberkins through social media or online or at some select retailers. They are adorably cute stuffed creatures. And as a parent, when you receive one, it is really the book and the interactive storyline that draws people in. I think once you get the creature, you read the storyline and do a positive affirmation interactively with a child, kind of feel the magic of the kind of intent of what we're trying to get through with Slumberkins. Yeah. And and can you talk a little bit more about that intent? What, What is that? Yeah, so I'm a marriage and family therapist and worked uh, as a school counselor, but also with families addressing lots of different needs for modern families. And some of the more prevalent ones that came up at the practice and in the school were issues around relaxation, were issues around um, self-esteem for kids, topics like family change, parents who are going through a divorce. And those are such big can be such big topics that it's hard to figure out or know how to 
have conversations that actually have actionable steps to instill the the skills that you're wanting to help your child with in those moments. So for example, um, the Bigfoot storyline follows Bigfoot through a story where kids make fun of him. He feels really hurt and bad about himself. There's coping strategies thrown in there of how to calm your body down by taking deep breaths. And the story is interactive so that the reader and the child are interacting, answering questions back and forth. And it's inserting um, kind of the kind of therapeutic questions and thinking that um, I would be facilitating if I was sitting in a family therapy session and ending with an interactive affirmation. So uh, at the end, Bigfoot's affirmation is, I am kind, I am strong, I'm brave and unique. The world is better because I'm here and I like me. And when a child is saying that back and forth with you, it's a really amazing thing to try to give to a child so that they're able to, you know, pick themselves back up after having a a moment like that. Yeah. And so I I like to say that most businesses are started from either inspiration, frustration, or desperation. Like what wasn't like, why not just keep, what was the old way? First of all, if you can kind of tell us like before Slumberkins, how were you achieving this goal or addressing this problem? And then why not just do that? What was the, the impetus to to do it a new way? I think when we started Slumberkins, so I think we started out, out of inspiration. We were both on a um, maternity leave with our now four-year-old sons from our roles as educators. So I'm a special education teacher and Kelly, what like she said, was a marriage and family therapist and school counselor. And we had this moment of also being, you know, new moms to our new babies and thinking of ways that down the road, we were seeing students come into our, our lives in our world of education and kind of knowing, you know, what's down the road for them if they're not given the emotional supports from the earliest of years, because we were both supporting students on the social emotional aspect of learning um, and thinking about ways that well, number one, we know that early intervention is so important and the the messages are always going to be more impactful for a child coming from the parent. So how could we create a resource to get them into the parent's hands so that it prevents a lot of the, you know, different social emotional issues that we would see as educators? And um, And so I think that for us, it was coming from two, twofold as a parent perspective and an educator perspective and kind of creating a resource that really didn't exist out there that we both wanted for our own selves too. Yeah. And that's, that's usually the best way to, to start a business or a product is to do it for yourself. It's, uh, you know, and, and answer that need. And, and thank you for, for sharing that. If you could, if could each of you give me a sense of, you know, you're both, you know, educators, you both have a lot of schooling in this area. If you could even like go back and and tell me a little bit about, you know, your childhood, kind of what that was like for you, where you were raised, why, why you even have an interest in education and and studying education to such an advanced degree and end it with how the both of you met. Sure. So I'll go first. My, I was raised, um, I'm an only child and my parents had me at a very late age. My mom was 42. And so uh, I very much, you know, was the apple of my parents' eye. and But I'm also very tall. I'm 6'2", and my parents are both very tall. And I think my mom knew I was going to be very tall as well. And so I experienced kind of this, you know, lots of moments with my mom where she was feeding me a lot of positive affirmations that as, uh, I mean, I did end up being six feet in sixth grade. And, um, I think as a very tall person at that young of age, you know, in a social aspect, kids say mean things without understanding how they land, you know, they weren't intentionally trying to be bullies or, or anything like that. I was just different. And so for me, I very much have a heartfelt connection with our Bigfoot character. That's about promoting self-esteem through positive affirmations. And it was kind of Kelly wrote the storyline kind of based on my experience, as well as a mixture of a little bit with her husband too, who also is very tall. And so, but like, I would always lean back on those moments of positivity that my mom infused into my life. And, you know, was, I think I attribute my ability to kind of brush it off and um, kind of stay resilient and optimistic 
to her doing that. And so I think the Bigfoot story in particular um, is a manifestation of giving parents kind of the set of words and tools of the affirmation of, you know, Bigfoot's affirmation is, I am kind, I am strong, I am brave and unique. The world is better because I am here and I like me. And so if you hear a child say that at a very young age, like say age two, it's just a moment that really matters in that child's life. And those words become their inner voice and their reality. And so it just becomes this really powerful moment between parent and child. And so that's kind of like my heartfelt connection around my personal experience as a child with the kind of inspiration for the product. But then, you know, I became a special education teacher and and an elementary school teacher. I have my master's degree and endorsements in both areas. And, you know, I really went into the world of education based on an experience I had as a peer mentor in high school to a student that was a classmate of ours that experiences autism and, you know, was pretty high functioning on the spectrum of autism, but she definitely, you know, had a lot of kind of uh, social, she had a lot of experiences in high school that were um, not positive socially for her. And I kind of became her friend and protector and mentor in a couple of our classes and I loved it. And so um, when I, you know, thought about the pathway that I wanted to go into, I really focused in on special education. Yeah. And this is Kelly. Um, so for me, my childhood, I have a older brother. Um, my, my mom is a psychologist and my dad is a longshoreman. So interesting pairing there. But I think I always just kind of modeled myself after my mother and um, was interested in psychology and interested in being a counselor um, because I saw her doing that. And it, it did fit my personality. I think, you know, through the process of becoming a therapist, because I went to school, got my undergrad in psychology, and then went back for my master's in marriage and family therapy and school counseling, you know, I kind of was able to examine in my life a little bit further and um, do a lot of personal work and healing um, around just the my childhood, which um, I think a lot of people experience that, you know, our parents are always doing their the best they can. And I truly believe that people try their best most times, but I think we all have wounds and things that have caused us to be the way that we are or feel... Um, less than in some ways. And that's what drives us sometimes. And um, I kind of uncovered through my work of becoming a therapist that some of those things that were driving me. And so Slumberkins really became a way to try to intervene at the youngest ages um, and almost give children what I wished was available to me at an early age as well. So even when people ask me, oh, well, what's your favorite Slumberkins? I can never answer because I feel like every single one of them is just a little piece of this larger um, healing puzzle that um, is really uh, important to me, but I also see in um, a lot of the people in my life. So yeah, it's it's been quite a journey. And Kaylee and I were lucky enough to you know, meet each other early on in this journey. We met our freshman year in high school and both being tall girls at school, I uh, was also tall and we both played sports and um, just kind of bonded over, you know, our similarities there and sort of did a lot of things in life around the same time. So both went on to college at the same time, both played professionally, um, our sports respectively after college for a short time and both had interest in helping kids and families. So when we were doing our masters and our studies stayed in touch and it just kind of made sense to start a business together because we were both really passionate about it and, you know, spent all of our time together when we could anyways. Ah, so many questions. Thank you for that. So I mean, what's, what sports were you playing and playing professionally? I played volleyball and uh, Kaylee was a basketball player. Oh, very cool. So you're in the tall girls club in, uh, in school there. What, yeah. do you remember that first day? Do you remember that first day you met? Volleyball tryouts? <laughs> yeah. Take me back there. Yeah. What was it like? Oh my gosh. Well, I think that when you're a tall, awkward 14 year old, you kind of scan <laughs> the room and the moment that you like find someone else that's a little bit tall and awkward kind of feeling, you just have this immediate bond. And then I would say that we became 
we became friends through volleyball, but then it wasn't really until I think we were um, Spanish 101 table partners. And Kelly um, speaks Spanish fluently now, but at the time she was way more comfortable speaking Spanish. And so we got in this really like, <laughs> we got in this really like kind of like awkward, but like new friendship where she would push me in Spanish to be a little bit more vulnerable with trying to like speak Spanish. And I don't know, I guess we bonded over Spanish 101. <laughs> <laughs> What was your, what was the word that you just couldn't, or the phrase that you could just never get? What were you always stuck on? Oh, it's just all of it for me. <laughs> I remember <laughs> what it was for Kaylee. <laughs> what was it? She would always say me llamo. I'm like, Kaylee, it's me llamo. <laughs> I had no context in learning other, like for learning other languages. Like I was a very kind of sheltered child also. <laughs> oh, that's so great. And is that uh, fit with your uh, recollection, Kelly? Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. So you both went on, but you were friends and uh, you're in the, the, the so-called tall girls club and you're going off and doing some cool things and uh, playing sports and, and, and going on to, to build your careers. And did you ever think um, that you would be business partners or entrepreneurs even before that? No, I mean, I think we knew we would always be best friends and in each other's lives. I have this funny memory of when I was pregnant with my my son, my first son, I went on a little baby moon to um, New Orleans with my husband and I saw a like psychic <laughs> and she told me that I was going to be an entrepreneur and a business owner. And I remember telling Kaylee like, I had the worst reading ever. <laughs> like this lady thought that I was going to have a business and she's crazy. Like that's so insane because we were working in education. So I just was for sure going to retire an educator. Um, and sure enough, uh, the business started up after, um, I had my son. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that. So the way I understand the story and please, uh, correct me is, uh, that you were both, we first, both first time mothers, we both pregnant. Why don't you, why don't you just kind of take me back to how, how it, how it happened? Yeah. So it was my second son. And so I had done it three or four, almost four years previously. And so Kelly, when Kelly's son was born, he was very colicky and uh, it was really like difficult for her at home with him. And so I would bring my son Owen over and uh, we would just get her out of the house and we would go on walks and just try to give her some relief of being cooped up in the house with a colicky baby because that is a very hard, <laughs> it's a very hard thing for any mother or any parent with a colicky child. And so I think it was this just kind of natural support system that went into place of us kind of hanging out daily, going on a lot of nature walks here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest and just feeling really inspired, you know, talking about some of the students that we were working with um, simultaneous, simultaneously, that then we just had an idea to, both of us had like brief histories and knowing how to sew. Like my mom had me take sewing lessons when I was like 12. And Kelly's mom is a seamstress and had taught her how to sew. And so we decided to try our hand at making a prototype or trying to try to make what we would want to sell as a product in the form of a redesigned kind of lovey blanket and with as with more unique creatures than what was like out there on the market. So this was kind of before sloths um, became very popular. And so it was our first creatures were sloth and Bigfoot. And so Kelly... Um, and they always were going to be paired with a story. So, you know, it was on these walks that we would come up with these ideas that Bigfoot, oh, he should promote self-esteem because he gets bullied and, you know, like, how is he going to be resilient? And, um, and then so Kelly would go home and she would write the storyline. I'd work on some of the designs. And then sometimes we'd head over to Kelly's parents' house and they'd hold our babies and we'd work on sewing. And then um, it was just this like really fun kind of creative time because we 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 always say like we had so much free time, but I use air quotes around that because we were also like mothers, you know, like big, like with babies too. And they came everywhere with us. And so it was just this like fun, creative moment. And then we, we decided, okay, let's actually try to sell some of these at a local craft fair. So we signed up for like a holiday bazaar and we ended up because we were educators and we were on maternity leave, we were broke. And so we had to borrow $200 from Kelly's mom to go buy some fabric. And we said, okay, if we sell any of these, we'll pay back that $200. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so we went and bought $200 of fabric, made like 20 to 30 versions of the first edition of what we now call Slumberkins. And, you know, I also say self-published because basically we just, Kelly wrote the storylines, the poem, and we printed it on cardstock and bound the creatures around the storyline of cardstock and bound them up with twine and sold them at local craft fairs. And it was, it was so great because we were getting real-time feedback from people that we were interacting with as, you know, the great part is, is that we are educators and we're standing there talking about the useful case for this in people's lives. And, you know, we didn't know how they were going to do, but we ended up selling out at the first craft fair and, you know, feeling like we were on top of the world because we turned that $200 into something, I think like $700. And then, so we took that $700 and we just bought probably, I think $700 worth of fabric and then made it more and went to another craft fair, sold out. And it just kind of steamrolled like that for a while. And that was in like November of 2015. And we ended up saying, okay, let's put this on Etsy in, I think it was January or maybe it was December. It was December, January of like 2015, 2016. And then it was really through Instagram um, and Etsy that it just started to steamroll in that same way, but even at a higher pace because of just the nature of, you know, an open marketplace and traffic from all over that we could not keep up with demand. So it was definitely this like handmade side hustle. And we also had had to go back to our jobs as um, educators at that time too. So it was kind of a crazy time in that, in those days. <laughs> I bet. And so I, I kind of want to go back. I mean, your, your mom's, you're, you're just trying to get out of the house. You're, you're walking <laughs> around. Like, I'm still a little confused. Doesn't sound like you really were sitting there being like, we have a great idea for a business. Like, take me back to that moment. What was the great idea? You were like, I have like, like, let's do what? I mean, let's, I think it was to let's do something together that's fun and that tries to affect the the problem that we're seeing in the world at large. I mean, the problem in the schools was getting worse and worse. And um, I think we're just two people that have fun in everything. We love having fun together and by doing things together. So it was our little step at achieving each milestone. Like, so it started with craft fairs and then we saw, Hey, people like it, let's keep going. So we always had a a big dream about where it could go, especially um, having these characters and these storylines, right? The big dream being uh, one day there could be slumberkins on ice, you know, but (laughs) I think uh, we, we just were taking it one little step at a time and getting really excited about every little bit of traction and every win because we fully didn't expect that we were going to be entrepreneurs or that we were going to have successful business. So everything felt like a win. It sounded like that even going back to that first day though, that like you were just doing this and and correct me if I'm wrong, out of the pure fun and experiment experimentation and the joy of it, it didn't sound like even before the craft fair, uh, the way Kaylee told it was the craft fair was a little bit of an afterthought. It was like, ah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll try this out. But you know, what, what I'd be really interested to hear is like, you're, you're walking, you're walking. I don't know if you're in the woods or on a pa- bike path or where you're at, but you're walking and you're like, all right, let's, let's make these creatures and we're going to do a sloth and a Bigfoot, like, like, you know, and, and tell me a little bit more about that. Like why? Like and where does sloth and Bigfoot come from? Why why Bigfoot? Why sloth? Well, I think that as educators, I mean, my job, I worked as a um I worked in a day treatment, a therapeutic day treatment school. And a lot of the instruction that I was doing around teaching um emotional wellness for kids and social emotional skills and supporting positive behaviors with behavior intervention plans, a lot of what I was doing with them from an actionable basis was sitting there and like writing out social stories to explain a situation and, you know, how they can turn it around and like give an example. And so from a intervention standpoint, as a teacher, I was like, these just need to come with social stories. But then Kelly is a natural poet. She's always been able to write poetry. And then she's also as a therapist, like took it to a whole new level of understanding from a deep therapeutic level um, how to create positive attachments between like parent and child. And so she was able to infuse these kind of interactive moments um, within each storyline that 
is kind of, I think, the magic component where it really creates this meaningful moment between a parent and child when they're reading the storyline. But And then I think we just wanted to do something that was so different than what was out there on the market. And I mean, being from the Pacific Northwest, there's a lot of people here that actually believe in Bigfoot. (laughs) And um, I mean, I'm not one of those people, but I really like to, uh, I love the character of Bigfoot because I definitely felt all like weird and unique as a child. And so, um, and then Sloth was just like, Kelly really liked the idea of a sloth too back then. And the storyline for Sloth is an actual therapeutic progressive muscle relaxation routine. And it's kind of funny, a couple of years into this, I started to seek out a therapist to help with like stress and anxiety. Cause you know, why would I be stressed out like being an educator and running a business? And I go in and like one of the first meetings, she was like, well, have you heard of progressive muscle relaxation? And I was like, yes. And uh, she's like, well, it looks like you just need to maybe use your own tools <laughs> in our own, uh, in our own uh, toolkit. But so it's really cool to see that Kelly's therapeutic expertise has, she's able to somehow distill it down and make it, make it so easy to use for anyone to implement. I mean, I think of it as kind of a stealth, uh, social emotional support for families because they don't even realize the, the positive impacts that they're doing with their child when they're reading these storylines with their children. This episode brought to you by Wild Story. Wait, isn't that your company? It is. And without the generous support of Wild Story, this show would not be possible. A brand isn't a logo or a tagline or even your product. A brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room. Wild Story helps progressive founders and savvy marketers build purpose-driven brands that connect their business goals with the customers they want to serve so that both the business and the customer needs are met. This results in crazy, happy, loyal customers that purchase again and again, and this is great for business. If that sounds like something you and your team might want to learn more about, reach out at www.wildstory.com and we'd be happy to tell you more. Now back to our show. Why are stories and storylines so important to the success of your of your mission and your product? Well, I think story in general is so much of the human experience, right? It's how we connect. It's how we are able to have empathy, to tune into an experience. Story is used so early on with kids. I mean, the trend also was, you know, when we were having our kids that people didn't want cards at their birthday or their baby showers. They wanted books because everybody wanted to be reading stories to their children. And when we were thinking about the intentionality of those books, even, of course, it's nice to have fun books that are just more about, you know, light subjects or comedy or things like that. You know, the stories that um, really impart uh, really meaningful messages are hard to come by. And so we really wanted to infuse both of those into one and, um, kind of make mascots for these really deep emotional support pieces that we were hoping to infuse. And um, I think it was sort of also a swing in the dark because there wasn't a, a model in the way that we were doing it of what that looked like very much. And so we were just really, again, excited that it was resonating and that when people got a hold of the stories or did them with their children and had the Flumberkins and had their snugglers that the message came through and the intent was realized. You know, I always felt surprised by that. I had hoped that it would happen, but I mean, everybody hopes that when you make a product, but you you never know until it's out there if it's going to do what you intend. So, And I think too, looking at it through the lens of a child, you know, I'm going to think of it through maybe like my four-year-old son's eyes now that as a child, you're given this, you know, cute, snuggly creature. I mean, the plush toy market is huge. So, you know, at my house, we have lots of different cute, snuggly creatures, but then you're given this one creature that matches a storyline that then becomes part of kind of this like intentional bedtime routine that you do with your parent. And it's when you think about bedtime and parenting 
it is the moment that you're able to kind of just make the most like connection with your child. There's not anything distracting, you know, like, um, and so thinking through it from their eyes, they're remembering that that character or that creature represents they, I mean, and they don't even realize this, but it reminds them of that connected engaged time that all children are seeking, especially in this day and age of, you know, parents on their phones all the time, especially right now with everyone over, everyone is so over consuming social media and content because, you know, rightly slow, it's it's rightly so in this day and age and this, and, but children are also seeking that connectedness. And I think that the mascots of the creatures themselves and the storylines just kind of like solidify their kind of love mark on that creature. Mm, super interesting. And, and thinking about those storylines and, and the storytelling, what's hard about that? What, what, what don't we know or what don't we see? The storylines I'm assuming need to be clean and, and fairly simple and straightforward. So, you know, someone who's, if it's done right, that's the way it seems. But, you know, what's hard about that for you? Well, um, I had no experience being an author, (laughs) Um, so I didn't really have a formal training around what are the rules that you should follow to make it come through that way. So, I mean, in general, I just took a swing. You know, working with young kids helped me in my understanding of what words hit with them best in understanding big situations because I had that experience under my belt as working as a marriage and family therapist and school counselor explaining big feelings or difficult situations to children. That was a lot of my job. So I was able to kind of take those words and bring them into the storytelling format. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't, I would say it continues to be hard and I would probably somebody with a writing background might look at my stories and say, those aren't very good. But, you know, I feel like kids, kids resonate with it because it's at their level. So I'm hoping that with time, as we continue to grow and refine how we tell stories and how we expand on the tool that is each one of the first books that come with each character that we you know, continue to improve, but I'm sure there's room for improvement. (laughs) I mean, I have like a funny story about this because when we first were, you know, when we had that initial traction and we also needed to go back to school, we were a little bit like, oh man, what are we going to, what are we going to do about this? So I tried to pitch the Bigfoot storyline to multiple book agents and publishing houses and got very polite no's. I love, I love the idea over what you guys are trying to do, but no, thank you. And then, we, I mean, so, and I'm one that just doesn't take no for an answer. So then I was just like, all right, we're just going to keep going on our own. And then it was funny. We were at this conference where we were listening about like this, how to get a storyline published. And someone on stage was like, don't ever publish your first draft. And we just <laughs> sat there and giggled because we just like have always published the first draft of everything. <laughs> Well, when it's great, it's great. And when you know, you know. So uh, yeah. Well, well, and they were ta- well, and they were talking about like you know, if a children's book is successful, it will maybe sell ten thousand copies. And we're sitting there in this audience, like try- like wanting expert advice, and going, "Oh my gosh, we've sold like over sixty thousand copies already of our first drafts." <laughs> like, <laughs> and so it was like kind of this moment. It was this was a couple years ago now. And it was just this moment of like, okay, we're, you know, we're, we're fine. We're onto something self-publishing, you know, getting a book like quote unquote published by the experts is a wonderful avenue for many people that want to go that route. But for us, it wasn't the route for Slumberkin. Yeah. And so let's, let's take a step back and and go back. You know, I'm envisioning that first craft fair. $200, you parlay it into 700, sounds like you parlay it into like some more, you start building, but it's, you know, you're in this like, all right, we're, we're, we've got a hobby. We've got like maybe like a side hustle business, like take, take me back there. And at what point does it start to inflect and you start to think, oh my gosh, this might really be something. Well, we definitely didn't have a business plan mapped out. And I think the first 
time that we realized that we needed that was when we went to go deposit that money in a bank. And they're like, you need a business plan for your business bank account. And so then Kelly and I had to open up a personal joint checking account while we worked on a business plan. (laughs) Um, And I think it was really probably... Oh, I think the point, there were multiple points, but one that really stands out was when we got through that first holiday season and we had pretty much gone to all the local fabric stores and bought out all of their plush fabric that we could get our hands on to sew more and more creatures. I mean, we were sewing hundreds of these things at this point. All by Um, yourselves? I mean, are your, your, your fingers are bleeding? I mean, type thing. Yep. Yes. (laughs) All by ourselves. It was crazy. I mean, there was like fur everywhere. It just was like, it was a, it was a hustle. Um, but and what, are your, and what are your family saying about this? I have to imagine oh it's quite gosh. disruptive and our, what's going on like at the house. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, our poor husbands uh, were, you know, tolerating it to say the least, <laughs> but they also were excited to see the traction too. And so, um, but one of the moments I think for us, when I think back was, when the fabric stores were sold out, it was, we were thinking about um, spring. It was spring 2016. And we needed to think of what we we're going to do for fabric because the stores hadn't rep- replenished from holiday yet. And so I went to a, like a retail store and bought out all of their plush blankets, like the big like home decor blankets. And then in order to have fabric to make into slumberkins, we were deconstructing blankets to then make into slumberkins to sell for Easter of 2016. And I think that was a moment of like, okay, when we're buying out the aisles of blankets to deconstruct them for fabric, you know, maybe we're onto something here. <laughs> well, and you'd mentioned that, and, and something that caught my attention was that, that the plush market is huge. I mean, you can't go anywhere without you know, either picking up a plush toy for free. I mean, I spend, you know, a good amount of time in my parenting getting rid of plush, plush toys because we just have so many. I mean, how did you think that the two of you had any chance at competing in a market like that? I mean, I think it's the storylines that really set us apart in that sense. And, you know, we've always said, you know, our unicorn is a good example because our unicorn storyline promotes authenticity and, you know, we have said, we know that our price points are pretty premium for the plush market. You know, our snugglers on their own used to go like around 40 or the bundle itself for the book and the, the creature are $44, but the book is $9.99. So, you know, we're like, you can go get any stuffed unicorn and use this storyline with that unicorn. And so it really like the heart is carried in the stories, not necessarily the actual plush. Um, I think that the way that the plush evolved from kind of this handmade, hand-stitched look and simple design aesthetic was because of our... We just had no idea how to actually take a product to market. We just did what we knew how, what we could do. And so, and it's evolved like from that. But yeah, I don't know. I think the the heart is carried in the storylines, so that's definitely been the di- big differentiator. But you know, when we did get our, we got ourselves on Shark Tank in 2017. I always say we bootstrapped our way onto Shark Tank because I think it was our like grit and tenacity that got us on that show. And you know, that was a big piece of feedback from the sharks was that the plush, <laughs> the toy market is kind of brutal, and they a lot of them had been burned, especially in the world of plush toys, and so knowing our price point, they were a little bit wary about that. But I don't know. I think it's the direct connection with the consumer. You know, we weren't, we knew that the product didn't need to go make its way onto the shelves of Target and compete with the brands that are doing really well at Target. And that we needed to be be able to tell our own story online and connect with the consumers that are using this in the way that it was intended to, you know, be a resource and support and tool for their child. And so, yeah, definitely lives in the storyline. How did the, uh, the situation with the sharks turn out? Were you uh, funded? Did you go away empty-handed? Well, so that was our first pitch ever. <laughs> we were completely bootstrapped um, when, before we went on there. And I think even filling out that 150 page application made us take the business a lot more seriously. You know, it was the first time that we really started to nail down, okay, what is our mission and vision statement? What is our brand platform? What does strategy look like for the next three to five years? And it enabled us to really 
you know, get on TV, tell our story, which was a very heartfelt and genuine story. And the devastating part was we didn't even get an offer. <laughs> and we, we both were very like thrown that we didn't get an offer because at the time we were on track to do over half a million in sales that year of just, and still being kind of like a local Pacific Northwest handmade brand. At that point, we had seamstresses that were helping us. So from like a traction standpoint, we were like, there's no way we're not going to get an offer or a deal. And then we didn't even get an offer. And so we were both pretty, it was an emotional roller coaster. But one thing that happened was the day after we filmed, it was the day that news broke that Toys R Us had filed for bankruptcy. And so I think the Sharks knew a lot of information that we didn't even know about the traditional toy industry at that time. But it was a great learning lesson. And the editors and producers on the show really loved the mission and our story. And, you know, the way that they edited our segment was really great. And we're just grateful for the opportunity to be on the show. Yeah. And I can imagine. So you walk in, you're so excited. We are going to crush these sharks. You walk out, (laughs) no offer. (laughs) The next day, the whole toy industry is in the toilet. Like, are you thinking like, are we just not going to do this? Is this destined not to happen? I mean, did you lose faith in the idea? No, I mean, it was funny because yeah, we walked in that tank with our athlete mindsets on, you know, uh, former basketball player here and Kelly being the volleyball player. I mean, we walked in as athletes and then we walked out like both sobbing. And so, but no, it actually, we woke up the next day and it was on the flight home from LA that we wrote our next book on the plane that was about growth mindset and kind of started the beginnings on the development of our character Narwhal. But Kelly might be able to add some more color to that story too. (laughs) Wow. And what resilience, like why, I mean, do you attribute that to your athlete background? Like you come out of getting, you know, metaphorically punched in the face and right away, I mean, Look, I, I I mourn a lot of my failures, maybe too long, but you know it takes me a little longer to get going than the play right <laughs> home. So I'm super impressed that you were able to like right away turn it around, say, look, we're we're still in this thing. Like, what wh- what drives that? I think it's for Kaylee and I. You know, that's just sort of the way that we operate, and it does go into that athlete mentality. I think when we would play on teams, like you lose a lot of games, (laughs) you miss a lot of shots, you mess up all the time. There's failure constantly, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to get to the championship. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get to the top. And so there's always been that we have no doubt that, you know, we can do it. And maybe in the very beginning, we had some doubt, but we were taking it really lightly in terms of just being like, well, why not us? You know, why can't we do it? we're smart enough. We have the background. We have access now. Like, why wouldn't we be able to do it? And so just taking those steps and just viewing it as a learning experience always and not, you know, dwelling on, on the quote unquote failures. I mean, we still had a blast (laughs) going and filming Shark Tank. Like what an opportunity. Okay. Yeah. We didn't get a deal and we hoped that they weren't going to like portray us to look like, you know, crazy people on TV or something. But, uh, it was a, it was a fun experience. And I think that's the real benefit for Kaylee and I both is when we do it together, we're always having fun. So nothing really feels like a failure. Yeah. And you mentioned you're both best friends and like, what's hard about running a business and being business partners with your best friend? I think it's been a journey. Like we thought we were close before we started Slumberkins. And now we just know even deeper levels of how close you can get to somebody. It's, it's, you know, there's been a lot of stuff that we've had to get into. And I think the benefit has been that because we were friends for so long, there's a deep level of trust between us that our friendship is so important to both of us. We're more like sisters than we are even friends. And that that we deeply trust each other's uh, thoughts and opinions. And, you know, as a brand promoting emotional wellness, basically good relationships and attachment, if we're not able to model that as co-CEOs and best friends of the company, then what are we even doing here? (laughs) And that means getting through the conflict and getting through hard times as well. So 
we do that by supporting each other, by both engaging in therapy ourselves and together and um, really digging in into personal growth um, alongside of each other. Not only are you best friends, you're co-CEOs. That's like double double whammy. So yeah. <laughs> uh, to, 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 to hear that, like, you know, are, are there conflicts that, you know, arise at work and how do you handle those? I think we did some, I mean, like Kelly said, we had to do a lot of deep work and, you know, it didn't actually become, I don't think we ever thought of it as an issue or like see the hurdles ahead in wanting to both kind of stay at the helm and drive the ship as long as we can. Um, until there was a couple instances, like in our first round of fundraising, an investor, a potential investor looked at us um, across the table and said, all right, well, which one of you is really in charge, you know, and like, kind of threw some like power dynamics at us. And then I think, again, like later down the road, there's been a couple times where people are like, oh, you guys are best friends. Like you guys started a business together because you guys wanted to ruin your friendship. You know, like little comments like that, like threw us off a bit. Um, in the beginning, which made us go, uh oh, okay, we need to like kind of prepare for this and we need to get into understanding like what our triggers are, what are, how are we both acting if and when uh, we are triggered by something and, you know, we call it like being in our like shadow selves and understanding to where both of us are gonna default for each other. So we actually sat down together in a conference room, busted out a big like, you know, giant post it and made a Venn diagram to show, okay, what does Kaylee own? What does Kelly own? And then what is it in the middle that we're going to trust each other? Or what in the middle are like the shared things that we both have to be kind of consulted and come to an agreement on. But then the things outside of that, we're going to really trust and default to each other so that we have always a united front to the team that we're leading. And I think that benefited us doing that very early on. Uh, the magic of the Venn diagram. <laughs> so when, when you were growing the company and, and you had mentioned, did you, when you launched that, that very first time at the craft fair, was it under the name Slumberkins? No, we were, um, originally we were Spoon and Moon. And the backstory to that is that my maiden name is Spooner and Kelly, um, her husband is a high school Spanish teacher and speaks Spanish fluently and he calls her, uh, Luna. And so we made it Moon because we thought that was a really cute kind of like children's brand name. But then as the Slumberkins and then in also initially, we titled them Slumberland Creatures. But then when we were doing our diligence around trademarks and IP, we discovered that Disney owns uh, the word Slumberland. And so then we were like, okay, let's kind of rethink the, the name of the whole brand because it more, is more representative of the product because Spoon and Moon doesn't really make sense when you look at the product line. And so we knew that Slumber Sloth was kind of our main bestseller. And we really liked the word slumber. And we really liked that kins could represent kind of the creatures themselves. And also knowing that you know parents are really finding that time to connect with their kids around the bedtime routine, even though we know that these stories can be used throughout the day at any given time or even in the world of education. But it just made sense to call them slumberkins. And so we kind of riffed off of the word slumber for a while. Kelly had some funny variations of some brand names that she wanted to throw out there in their early days. <laughs> It's always a process naming. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun. And yeah, so <laughs> you went to Slumberkins and um, you're growing and, and things are happening. You spin out of Shark Tank. We're now it just not even a full, basically like about four and a half years in business, if I'm doing the math correctly. And what does the business look like today? Well, today we have uh, 20 employees. We are 90% direct to consumers still. Um, I think we've always kind of hovered around that number. We have over 60,000 customers in our database. And we are in development right now with the Jim Henson Company to produce a children's television series based on our characters. So uh, there's a lot happening. And um, we couldn't be more excited about the 
the growth and the connection that we have with um, our community that we've built around the brand. It's just been steadily growing over 100% every year. And, um, you know, we're just continuing to sprint to, to keep up with it and to keep exposing people to the brand. And where can our listeners find out more about Slumberkins or purchase your products or even uh, just learn more about the, uh, about the company? So you can go to slumberkins.com, our e-commerce store. Uh, we um, are on Instagram, um, Facebook. We have a really awesome community, um, a Facebook group um, called the Slumberkins Social, where a lot of really amazing, authentic conversations are happening um, between parents, caregivers, teachers, around the topics that all of the Slumberkins address. It's an amazing group. Yeah. And so we just love connecting with, with everybody there. And then hopefully in the next year or so, you'll be able to see Slumberkins on the, on the screen on a global streaming platform. Ah, that'll be amazing. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but are you able to leave us with a short Slumberkins story? Okay, sure. So I will read the Bigfoot storyline written. It's, you know, obviously my favorite character and I hope uh, you all enjoy it. One fine day, while walking through the trees, Bigfoot heard campers, so he went to look and see. Hiding out of sight, he began to understand why Bigfeet steered clear of these creatures called man. Bigfoot doesn't exist. He's not even real. He's ugly and hairy and eats dirt for meals. What a lame creature to have in the woods. Why not a unicorn, a Loch Ness, or even Robin Hood? Bigfoot couldn't help the tears in his eyes. He wondered, how could they say that? I'm such a nice guy. Bigfoot ran from the campsite and counted one, two, three. Taking deep breaths, he had to calm down, you see. After hearing those words, he wanted to curl up and hide. How could Bigfoot stop feeling so bad inside? Here is the secret. I'll tell it to you. It will help our friend Bigfoot and maybe you too. When people are mean and make you feel down, you can believe in yourself and then look around. There are always more people, parents, teachers, and friends who you can talk to or be with to help your heart mend. Every time you hear something that makes you feel bad, tell yourself something that makes you feel glad. Repeat after me, if you think these are true, let's make Bigfoot feel better and maybe you too. I am kind. I am strong. I am brave and unique. The world is better because I am here. I like me. And that is the story of Slumberkins. Thank you to Kaylee and Kelly for sharing their story. And a big thank you to Bigfoot for sharing his. A little known fact. I have a special spot in my heart for Bigfoot. Many years ago, I wrote a screenplay about Bigfoot. It hasn't sold yet, and I may just have to dust that one off and revisit it. Well, that's the show. Until next time. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. I like big stories and I cannot lie. You other storytellers can't deny. 